an ad in there about Dorado's secret nerdy passion. Are you going to chop that? I can do. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gerardo Polly. And this, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. One of the best bits of advice I've ever received was to find good mentors and to learn from them. Trusted people who have already done what you're trying to do now. I've been fortunate throughout my career to have some fantastic mentors to help guide me, but I realize that they'd be hard to find and also hard to commit the time to one. This is why we've gathered some of the best minds from the veterinary world and squeezed them for their wisdom so that you don't have to learn the hard way. With the help of our guests, we flip the veterinary profession on its back and explore its soft underbelly to find the tips, tools, and inspiration that you'll need to build the career that you've always wanted. I'm Gerardo Poli. I'm Hubert Hemstra, and this is The Vet Vault. One of our criteria for selecting guests here at The Vet Vault is to find people from across varied and interesting parts of our profession to showcase all doors that can open to you with your veterinary degree. Well, today's guest is the poster boy for veterinary career diversity. Dr. Guy Wirasinghe has covered more ground in the veterinary profession than many of us will do in a lifetime. He's been a dairy vet in New Zealand, a small animal shelter vet for the RSPCA, he's worked in government doing field surveillance and policy, and has spent time in general small animal practice. During this time, he gained a master's degree in veterinary public health and then became a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Preventative Medicine. In other words, he is a certified veterinary public health specialist. While he was doing all of this, he co-funded an online employment agency, served as the president of Australian Veterinarians in Public Health, was a branch president for Australian Veterinary Association, co-authored the AVA's official position statement on climate change, and became a regular speaker at a range of global conferences on the subjects of zoonoses and preventative medicine. A career like that does not go unnoticed, and Guy was elected as the World Small Animal Veterinary Association's Young Veterinarian of the Year for 2018. He's currently a veterinary officer with the Northern Australian Quarantine Strategy under the Department of Agriculture. In other words, he is a veterinary public health government vet. And to top off a big decade, he became a dad about 18 months ago. And all of this in less than 10 years. As you can imagine, we had a lot to talk about. Join us to hear about how to take off your blinkers to be able to see all the opportunities that are out there for vets, about how to recognize your limitations and identify your skills, and about the joy of dealing with clients even when they don't like you. Guy also tells us about the pathway into the career in veterinary public health and, of course, what life as a, as a government vet is like and much, much more. Please enjoy Dr. Guy Wirasinghe. That's good because I don't know if I could say his last oh, name. I hope I, could, I, hope I said it right. Wirasinghe. Guy, welcome to the podcast. G'day, how are we going? It's been a long time coming. We've been trying to set this up for quite a while, so I'm super excited to finally get to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's trying to get the bloody um, uh, planets aligned to in, at the right time for us to have this chat. 
Absolutely. It took quite a lot of convincing, actually. I think when he found out that I was on the podcast as well, that he was like, oh, not that guy. Oh, yeah. Seeing yeah. the conferences and... and... Well, we went through uni together, kind of. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The guy, you've, you've had such a varied and interesting career in a, in a, in a less than a 10-year span. So I, I'm a bit like a kid in a candy store, so much to talk about. Um, don't really know where to start. But I want to, I'll pick up with something from from one of your previous lives. Uh, when I Googled your name in, in researching for this podcast, I came across a, a picture of you in, in quite a, sharing quite an intimate moment with a goat, with a beautiful white goat. <laughs> um, will you, can you please tell us about, a little bit about Dora the goat? Okay, so Dora goat, um, basically uh, I was working at the RSPCA in Sydney. Um, short, short preamble to that was that I graduated, went to New Zealand, did mixed practice or mostly dairy and then came to um, New South Wales to Sydney and I swore that I'd never work in a busy, like in a busy hospital. I'm, I'm not hospital material and suddenly I landed in like the biggest hospital in um, Australia, I think at that time at the RSPCA and then, so I was everyone's large animal vet and then uh, one day we, I was, we were working and then there's this uh, get on the phone and the inspector is saying we're bringing in a goat that's got a arrow sticking out of it. And I'm like, cool, we'll 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 jump into that. Wow. Um, wow. And um, suddenly they bring in this goat and they go, oh, by the way, she's pregnant. And I'm like, cool. So how are we going to do this? Yeah, it's, and, sorry, was this a, a feral goat or a, or a no? Pet this, goat? this this was a pet goat. Oh jeez. And um, so someone had pretty much uh, was illegally trying to poach someone's um, pet goat. Uh, and so this animal was, uh, I guess, relinquished to the RSPCA by the former owner and um, brought to us. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll give this a go. So we intubated the goat, put it on the table. And then I did, I did surgery and removed the arrow. It pretty much went through the uh, scapula missed the uh, vertebrae by about maybe a couple of centimeters and then was rubbing against the other side of the uh, scapula. Oh, oh, I could just feel that. I don't know. <laughs> oh, just I can almost just feel that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, like admittedly, uh, I mean, and like even when I was in uh, small animal practice, I would always tell people like, give me a scalpel and everyone loses money. But at that point I was like, you know what? I'm going in for the surgery. And so <laughs> um, pretty much did that surgery and, and like pretty proud of that work. And then um, uh, she recovered and a month later she gave uh, birth. And um, you know, next thing I know I'm, I've, I've got articles on the what uh, daily telegraph and appearing on um, what, weekend today, today weekend, one of those, National oh, so you guys made it onto TV, you and your yeah, your, yeah. Oh, right. cool. With Dora the goat, like you have the goat. No, I had Dora the goat. We... I think I had um, Boots the kid as well. Boots the kid. Yes. <laughs> I would be awesome was Billy the kid. Like I know, but but that's Dora, Dora and Boots and Diego. Oh. I think that fits into that uh -huh. Dora the Explorer uh -huh. thing. Okay, uh -huh. then watch that show. I, yeah, no, you should. Be, <laughs> I I. I'm well. I'm very familiar with Dora and Dora the Explorer. Do you know there's a live action film coming up of that? Oh, really? Yeah, it somehow came up on one of my feeds, and I was just like, "Oh, okay, cool. That's a thing." I'll, I'll go down off, off on a tangent here about this. We we might delete this out. So, so Gerardo, the 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 show is about Dora, um, who's a young girl, what, she's seven or eight or so, who goes around the world rescuing animals, but in helicopters and jet skis, and and her cousin is also an animal rescuer. What's his name? Diego. Mm. Um, 
And I sat there watching it with my kids going, who pays for this shit? People <laughs> and, do that. No, no, no. I mean, for these rescues. If you, the, the reality of the situation, you have these two <laughs> sub-10-year-olds who have helicopters and all this, these resources to rescue all these animals. I'm just thinking, who, who's funding this? <laughs> See, it's, 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 not, it's not like Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds, they had like a philanthropist <laughs> oh. who paid for them. Ah. The situation, so, no. I, I, I came on, um, I think I, I figured it out. It's drug money. Dora, Dora, Dora and her cousin. The chopper to like drop Dora, stuff off. It's all a, it's all a ruse. Dora and her cousin are mules. They're drug mules. They have, they have a bit of funding from the Shining Light and a few other groups. Oh. Exactly. That's exactly. Oh, that's hilarious. I was, I was never, I would never have picked you going into that area. It's like, well, what are they doing? Some kind of like drug money. I was just like, well, no. Way. Deep dive. Oh. All right. Anyway, oh, yeah. let's, let's segue back into actually. You, you said something, guy, that was quite uh, quite intriguing there, and I'm sure someone else would have picked it up as well. Someone listening, but you said give you a scalpel and everyone loses money. <laughs> what does that mean? I, I am not a surgeon. I oh. just do not consider myself in any way. Like even when I was going through vet school, I was just like, nah, do not want to be a surgeon. Um, would rely more on the people who are around me who are keen on surgery to sort of guide me along, you know, which, am I allowed to cut this? I'm like, do not touch that. Do not touch that. I'm like, okay, I'll go above, <laughs> um, go above the ligature. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I, I just found that I just, it just wasn't my jam. And, um, and I, I, and like I threw myself into the deep end. Yes, Dora was one of those success stories where it went really well, but other stories I was like, I'd be slaving away trying to like hour and a half trying to do a, a dog spay. And I'm just like, nah, this is not for me. Um, so uh, when I was with the RSPCA, I just said, look, just get me doing cons- consulting. So I'd like sometimes consult from like 8.30 till like 8 p.m., 8.30 in the morning till 8 p.m. And that was my happy place. Wow. Um, and even with my, uh, uh, when I was in companion animal practice, uh, I'd just do consults all day. Wow. And like I, I didn't have like people, like if some days like I'd be sick and someone would have to s- jump into my shift and they'd just be like, no, nah, we can't handle that. That's just, too much and i'm like you know what that that's my jam i i prefer that uh scalpels and dentals just not my not my fix i love it i, I love it that you've kind of you found that particular area or niche or of of not necessarily niche but you know a particular area that you've where you where you excel in and how, how did that feel to get to the point what was that journey like to get to the point where you're like i'm going to drop the scalpel and you know focus just on my medicine and stuff Oh, I think I, I feel like I, I knew that from early on. Mm. And um, ironically, I, the reason why I got into vet school, apart from wanting to obviously be a vet and everything else, I like went through a science degree, did honours, and then worked in a research lab where I was doing surgery on rats uh, for a preclinical drug research group. And I, I, was, I was actually, I genuinely enjoyed doing that. And then suddenly now I get to the end of vet school, I'm like, yeah, no, nah, don't want to be a surgeon. And mm. so... I found that I really enjoyed just making connections with clients and just having those conversations with people and really getting into that whole investigation side of things, you know, thinking myself as like a Batman with a white lab coat. Um, and I really enjoyed that side of things. And I think, um, I think that's that to me, that's just one of those niche areas of veterinary science that, uh, I, I feel like that's, that's my, that was one of my areas. Hmm. It's a it's a skill the consulting thing, isn't it? It's a there are there are vets who really excel at that. Were, mm. were you, if you say you enjoy those client interactions, um, 
have you always enjoyed it or is it something that you that you picked up or, or, or learned or, or had to work on or does it did it just come naturally to you it came naturally to me does that sound arrogant probably does but that's no. like to me i i just genuinely enjoyed those uh building those relationships with new people who came through the door as well as maintaining those relationships i i don't know i sort of operated with the rule that everyone at any point in the, any any console would have to laugh in the console. So I'd try and make them laugh. Even if it was a euthanasia, we would try and make sure that everyone sort of had a laugh of some sort mm. um, and kind of enjoyed that. Like it's, it's kind of like um, I'm a really bad stand-up comedian. Like I, I have absolutely no skill in it, but I enjoy trying lines in that situation. Yeah. I, I read a quote by you. I can't remember where I found it, that, that you said, you enjoy stand-up comedy and, and some of the skills mm. that they use you think are quite applicable in, in consulting and, yeah. and in meetings and stuff like that. Are there, are there specific skills that you, that you mean or, or that, you, that you think you can use or that people could learn? Uh, I think have, have, a few, like, have, have lines that sort of come naturally to you, uh, but at the same time, just read your audience. Like, you, know, you obviously can't drop the dick and ball jokes to a grandma <laughs> over there but you can certainly um you can you can identify what makes her laugh and then try and work with that uh same thing with someone who just comes in and is rough as guts you can certainly identify what they uh find humorous and obviously if the teeth to tat ratio is the wrong way around you don't want to drop the racist jokes because that then goes down a very dark path but <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. just trying to think then of a of, of a time when a racist joke actually it's good in a it's appropriate. No, never, never. But my goodness, it is amazing. Just I don't know why. Maybe because I am a brown doctor. Yeah. Uh, I, I just have these people who come in and then they think, oh, it's okay to like be casually racist about another race. Um, and I'm like, mm, yeah, that's not cool. Not not in 2019 or 2018. Then. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I, I, I had like one client tell me, oh, at least you're one of the good ones. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> is that actually, so that's quite an interesting question. And, and, and maybe that might segue a little bit into that, but is that um, something you struggled with or do you like, do you, are you okay with that? And you, you know, you, you can deflect it. You just kind of like, yeah, okay. It hits me. That goes through me. I, I'm going cool with that. Um, or did that take a little while for you to kind of, and, and how free and how frequently do you, do you experience it? Like, is it, mm. I, I would like to think that we've moved beyond it in 2019, but do you still get, get stuff like that? Oh, look, it's really, really rare and okay. it depends on where you're practicing. So like when I was in Sydney, once every six months, you'd get some, some sort of casual comment. You're like, well, that's a bit strange. Yeah. Um, when I was working in the Sunshine Coast where I was part of the less than two percenters, um, yeah. certainly that uh, increased a little bit more. And um, you kind of, you kind of just get, I, I think, I think I just sort of rolled with it. I mean, I grew up in, in Mackay. I don't know if you're familiar with what Mackay represents you. No. It's, it's like no, central no. Queensland. I was very much part of the less than one percenters in that school uh yeah. and growing up there and um you sort of learn to have the whole water off a duck's back and yeah. uh to anything that's sort of said i mean like admittedly i have caught my fair share of racism people have spat at me and told me to go to go yeah. back to where i came from and all of that but you kind of go that all comes from a position of ignorance and uh you kind of have to just realize you know you, i i feel like it's almost my my role is to just show that we 
have sim- more similarities than differences. Yeah, mm. and you you were obviously born and bred in Australia by the same. No, 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 no. Oh, I, I was born in Sri Lanka and I, well, migrated to Australia when, in '86. Oh, really? So okay. I was about four years old then. Okay. Yeah, but you're a hell of a lot more Australian than than I am. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's funny. Like it's just you 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 come up with um, you know I've I've seen or heard some people say some really strange things and just like and maybe it's because they feel like they can say it in the console room because there's no one else watching and they feel like god you know he seems approachable we can say whatever we want to say it's kind of like that abc show or sbs you know things you can't ask or things you can't say Mm. things you wish you could say yeah as you said i'd like to think that it's probably more more ignorance as to what is what's acceptable and and what's not rather than I'd like to think so rather than trying to be, trying to be hurtful or, and you know what, I, I think this is wrong. a reflection of, of who you are and how you come across. Right. If it, you know, to put a positive spin on this, if you're the kind of person that people can actually have those open conversations with, then the person you must be in the consult room must be a person that they trust and, and be able to build rapport really quickly with. Um, yeah. You know, like, yeah, for, for them to have those quite, quite frank comments, um, yeah, it means that you 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 know you must be able to do that really rapidly. Um, and that- yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's also just being able to identify what the best way to diffuse a situation is. I remember having a client um, in the waiting room. It was a weekend. I was the only vet on 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 consults, and um, I think I ducked my head out the door, just going, you know, we're just running five minutes late, blah blah blah. And then this older man who was with his wife was saying. I do not want to go see that vet, uh, that type of vet or something like along those lines. Mm. And the nurse is just like, he's the only one. So you're stuck with him. And so, I, and I, I found, and they came and told me just going, by the way, he sounded a bit racist, just <laughs> heads up. And I'm just like, all right, cool. So um, didn't make an issue of it. Just tried to just find out what his issues were and just trying to, uh, in terms of his pet, mm. showed yeah. my head about, I was there for his pet. I'm not there to try and address what his, yeah you know, uh, ignorant beliefs were or yeah, biases were. And it, to me, it was just more about addressing what was pet was. I think it, it all ended pretty well, but it was just one of those things that you can, you can have your hackles up in the lead up to a consult uh. and it could just really taint it. Or you can just try and just go, okay, how do I make the best of the situation? Yeah. And it goes for other situations as well, because other, there are, there are all those situations in consults where the, where the nurse will say, Oh, the client's really angry about, this happened last time or mm. they weren't happy with the service of the other vet or um and again it, it depends on your how you approach that makes a big difference because if you go in there going oh well i'm going to show them um mm. you know you're going to mess with us we are right it, it never goes well whereas if you go in there saying okay well that's a challenge that i'd like to try and try and fix let's see if i can turn the situation around yeah um, goes a hell of a lot further do, do you do you approach it with um in a way kind of uh, deliberate ignorance or just approach it with like a complete focus on delivering um, the best for their, for, for, for the client and their pet. So you kind of like yeah, my, 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 I'm coming into this room, I'm stepping in this room. I know that the, the client's upset um, or I know that they have this particular belief about me. I'm going to focus on actually what I can, what I can do and what I can control that. Yeah. I th- I think having having um, that end goal that you're there, like they came to you or they came to your clinic for assistance with their pet for some reason. 
mm. whether it's problem or a vaccination or whatever else, you're, they're, they've come to you. And so your end goal is to make sure that they walk out the door just feeling as though they've received the best service. Mm. Having that prior knowledge of what's happened before certainly does help because then you could try and weave it in. Like, uh, I mean, the really bad example is, but like, you know, I probably haven't done it this bluntly, but like, oh, I heard that, you know, Fluffy was in here last week and how'd that go? And then sort of raise it up and sort of try and diffuse the situation at that point. Mm. Don't try and say, oh, look, you were wrong about this because mm. everyone loves being told they're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> um, But you can sort of address it in that situation. And maybe uh, with the tincture of time, they might've cooled down and can sort of see, have a bit of a perspective on it all. Well, yeah. I suppose there's an opening question there, which was, you know, well, what, you, what you're doing is bringing it up in, in a way where they can then have their ability to have their say and, and speak their thoughts, right, which is the vast majority of the times when, when, when complaints occur, allowing them to speak is, is the first and foremost most important thing. And without judgment, in a way, it's kind of really understanding what it is that they're saying. Um, and then from there, you can move forward if, if need be. Sometimes things need to be done. Sometimes they've just said their piece that's off their chest and they're okay. I, I think, I feel like part of it may also come from just the nature of how we are running veterinary practice itself is like, if you do these short and punchy consults, you don't get the time to address the issues that are raised up that may not be directly related to the pet's health at that very point, but it might be something that's of historic nature. Uh, I mean, I know I had a really bad reputation at the RSVC and even at Green Cross where I would have really long consults, but it's because I would often be trying to like talk through with issues with clients and making sure that they really understood it. Like one of my favorite or biggest frustrations is whenever I uh, identify their pets got a heart murmur and I will just go, oh yeah, your pet's got a, like a grade three heart murmur as, uh, do you know what that is? And they're like, oh yeah, the vets mentioned it's had it last time. And mm. it's like, okay, but do you know really what that means? Mm. And they're like, no. Okay. So I go, I love having whiteboards and I'll get the whiteboard out and mm. I'll draw the heart and I'll yeah. draw the valves and everything else. And I'll just go, this is what's going on. And this mm. is when things go really pear shaped. Yeah. And it, to me, I feel like that's something we kind of let ourselves down because we need to get through those consults really fast. We don't get the time to explain issues or science to people mm. it's hard to demonstrate value there when mm. when what you're doing or is, is trying to get in and out in and out and in and out so well it's interesting i'd like i as an emergency service we uh, on myself as a veterinarian in an emergency service we do have time pressures um yeah but then what i've well at least one of my strategies is is not necessarily to speed up the consult but then to do multiple consults, but allow them time to think in between. So I'll start a consult, have a discussion mm. with them. Um, and then I'll have a segue, which is like, Hey, look like they need to think about something. So they're sitting there waiting with them. Um, I'll go, Hey, look, there's a patient that's come in now. You don't want to triage. And I'll go in there, start that conversation. Um, and then prime the idea that actually, um, look, I've, I have another consult that I'm part, part way through. Um, so I just want to make sure everything's all right with you and fluffy um give us a if you give me a rundown as to why you're here today then they can talk and then i can make sure they're okay then i go back into the next one or into the yeah. previous one and see where they're at and then go through that way rather than going hey you've got 15 minutes yeah what do you want to do now yeah yeah that's yeah. that's the tough thing about emergencies mm. you, you obviously it's it's all time critical uh and i guess that's why i've always just uh when it comes to crit uh, clinical practice i just always enjoyed the uh the the standard 
GP level of practice because you just have that time to and I, I mean I genuinely enjoy teaching and that's what I feel like we do in that at that level you teach your clients uh, I'm not a fan of handouts like t- handouts are fine but you mm. not everyone learns through reading mm. oh yeah how many uh, I agree with you on the handout things um, how many people read it I, I, I read it out with them at just, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, right, just like yeah. word for word. Right. This is, I read it out and it's like, I'm just trying to make sure you understand. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's a whole yeah. thing. And I always feel like whenever we vets write things, we write things for vets. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I look at some of the Facebook posts I see, like uh, from veterinary clinics. And I just go, the person who wrote that social media post had wrote it for a vet, not for a client. Mm. And, and I half wonder if we, we do ourselves in injustice because we think we're communicating only to vets. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 the, I think this, the problem there is that we forget how much you know. Yeah. You, you, you literally forget that those words that you're using, you didn't know when you were, before you started studying veterinary science. Um, and you think that everybody just, just knows it. Um, yeah. The, the, back to the, to the, the consult and the speed of consult thing, I'll, I'll my, my two cents that is is really booking stuff so you're mm. so i do emergency as well and if i pick something up that requires time but that's not urgent there and then um just being honest with the client and saying look your animal has a heart murmur it actually it's it, i need a bit more time with this than i than i can give you now it, it, it fluffy deserves more time mm. um now's not the right time please book it in tomorrow that time for a half hour consult we need to talk through it and, mm. and discuss it Mm. Um, that, that's my and that's a good strategy. That, I mean, that's a really good strategy that I think um, especially any up-and-comers can utilize mm. uh, is the fact that you do have the option for rebookings. I, I think it's a little bit harder in emergency practice when you're mm. just pure emergency. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah but you, you send, it, send it to the day practice. And people love that line about, look, I want to give you a decent amount of time for this. I don't want to rush it. Yeah. Um, so please well, get it's, back. it's honest truth. You know, you, yeah. you actually don't want to rush it, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Building on what you were saying um, or adding one little piece that I use uh, when I'm in a consult and there's, there's presumed knowledge, right? Mm. They know there's a heart murmur there. So you're like, okay, it's been covered before. Mm. Sometimes I ask them like, you don't mind actually letting me know what your understanding of actually heart murmur is. Mm. So then what happens is then they go, Oh, I got to regurgitate something. And then they go, actually, I'm not too sure. Yeah. Um, But sometimes they're all over it and it's like, cool. Okay. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, let's move on here or something so uh, yeah yeah and and often you do ask that and often i'll also ask like does anyone have a science background is anyone a doctor before i start sound, sounding like a real idiot <laughs> and and, just, and like you occasionally i'll go i'll get the hand up just going yeah i'm a pediatrician I'm like all right you know all about this okay. do you need to explain anything further can you explain it to your partner because <laughs> <laughs> they're giving the medications that's right yeah that's what you're paid for no guy <laughs> earlier on you said that when you're at the point of graduation or when you're young, younger or, or just about to graduate, you said you swore that you swore that you'd never work in a big, small animal hospital because you're not hospital material. Mm. Um, you sound like pretty good hospital material to me. Why, why, why did you feel that way? Or why do you feel that way? What, what about it? Didn't, what about the idea of it? Didn't you like? Um, I, and I think it's something that I've just learned over time as I've gotten older uh, is I'm, I'm very task orientated. I hate having multiple wheels spinning at the same time. Like I like dealing with what's there in front of me at that point. Uh And I found when I was going through uh, vet school, I found it very stressful uh, to have like 
you know, you've got multiple things going on in the ICU while also juggling uh, clients. And I, I found it much more enjoyable when I was in the GP side of things. Um, so yeah, that's why I definitely felt like the hospital environment wasn't for me. Okay. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a, an aversion to, to smallies as such. It was no. more the, the big busy. Okay. Yeah. No, and enough. I mean, ad yeah. admittedly I, when I, yeah, but I, I always felt like I was going to be a public health vet, even from like week one of vet school. Really? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I knew that was my jam. Like, I, I sat through this one lecture about like um, uh, Hendra and Nipah virus and Ebola, and I was just like, "That's the jam. That's the stuff that I want to be involved with." Mm. That that fascinates me. Sorry, Joe, you go. <laughs> no, because I, when 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 uh, we went through uni, I, like it, it became quite apparent that um, your interests were in that kind of field, in that, in that particular area, and it and as probably Hubert, as Hubert said, it's, it's not something that I was particularly engaged. No. With, right. No. And I struggled with epidemiology and, 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 and public health and, and so forth. And, um, I saw the clinical app, I saw the applications, I saw the importance of it. Um, but I was just like, nah, yeah, give me something. I want to, I want to be the, you know, the, the, the Batman with the lab coat on and, and go sort some shit out, you know, go save yeah. some lives. And, but the, the impact that a epidemiologist epidemiologist could have or the impact that a veterinarian in, in the public health um, arena or, or sector can be yeah. way more dramatic than actually um, being on the ground, seeing patient after patient every 15 minutes. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I mean, that, I, I, I definitely pursued that interest or passion up as far as I could go. Um, uh, because I, I even in in companion animal practice, I found like I, I was fine with dealing with the individual cases, but I was like, why are we constantly seeing the same kind of cases? And how do we try and address it at a higher level? Mm. Um, so, like, say with tick cases, yeah, we get a ton of paralysis tick cases coming through, uh, but at a higher level, then maybe we need to be improving how we communicate about tick prevention. Mm. Uh, not selling product, just talking about why we recommend it. And then also going, well, what's, what are the uh, ways that people can sort of identify the reason why they need to be knowing that about tick paralysis and the prevention. So I found when I was in um, one of my clinics, um, I, I asked for like about three or four years worth of data of all the tick paralysis cases. And I asked for uh, what are the street addresses and, and um, uh, suburbs. And then I identified at my three or four hotspot suburbs. And so every time I had a client come along and just go, yeah, I'm from this particular suburb. I'm like, you do realize like, and what are you giving for tick prevention? Nothing. You do realize that's in my top four of uh, tick paralysis cases, suburbs. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that we've lived there for all our lives. And I was like, yeah, you think you're bulletproof until you're shot. So mm -hmm. why not get all over it? I just find that having that sort of broad scale approach can really help sell your message, but then hopefully also address the things that are easily preventable. Mm. I was going to say, I love your, your way of thinking. Um, that's that's really good. Where where's that from? Did what was you? I'm going to skip back. What was? Did you do something before vet science or or? Like, um, why do you think this? Why do you think this way? And the rest of us don't. The rest of us just. I, I, I don't know. Like I, I guess I I went through uni. Um, I, I started uni doing a bachelor of science degree with at UQ, mm -hmm. and then doing the typical student thing. I tacked on an arts degree, and so I've got like a what majors in biomedical science with honors in pharmacology and majors in psychology and film and television. So, oh, wow. really broad kind of <laughs> pre-vet education. Okay. Um, but then like, cause I worked in that preclinical drug research 
field for a couple of years, to me, I, I started playing with a lot of data and like looking at how does all that data fit into, uh, I guess, drug design at that time. But then I realized that that was sort of ingrained in my, how my brain was working. Yeah. That when I was going through vet school, I was like, yeah, that's cool. We're dealing with all these individual cases, but then mm. what can we do to prevent those cases from occurring mm. in the first place? Yeah, not how my brain works, actually. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it, it's different <laughs> strokes to make the world, right? <laughs> no, no but right. it's funny. I'll, I'll, I'll think about, I'll think that way about other things sometimes, not specifically work, but, mm. but funny when it comes to work, I don't, Sometimes the thought will cross my mind. It'll go, yeah, so stupid that we. Mm. So I'll go. Somebody needs to figure this shit out, and then I'll just carry on. Guy, guy, guy's got to figure it out. <laughs> <It's not gonna laughs> but I, I do think that every team, or at least large teams, should have someone who's a little bit data savvy or is keen mm. on that whole preventive health approach, mm. uh, and then they can help frame up messaging and communication approaches. Mm. Yeah, totally. Um, we have a quite a large team of veterinarians and in our leadership team, actually um, we, well, I utilize particular people um, or all the veterinarians based on their kind of inclination and skill set. So um, my personality type, I'm a driver. So I will, I will, I will create, implement, push, 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 um, and then get the balls rolling, but then I'm, then I'm done. I'm like, okay, if anyone wants to kind of finish off with that, you go for that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm on the next thing. So, but um, but I, what I've realised is actually, um, and it's something we've just kind of labelled, and that's you got to find your contrarian. And essentially, there there are vets that I go to now where it's like, hey, this is my idea. It's amazing. You'll love it. But I think I need your advice on it. How's it going to impact the team? actually you know and then really get them to sort of drill down and 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 um pull out you know pull out all the 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 problems with it so i can at least address it so that when i do present it to the team it's a much more rounded more thoughtful process um but it is utilizing other people and and it's really helpful when you do have people who who are different and and yeah and do bring something else to the table so Kai, talk us about your 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 work. I know it's just very recently changed. Um, when I when I started researching you, you were doing some public health work and some small animal work. Um, what what do you do? What's your what, what's your average work week like? What what do you actually do for a living? Uh, so now I'm officially employed full time with the Department of Agriculture and Water Resources. So I'm a Commonwealth veterinarian. Um, and pretty much, uh, so I work under the branch of, uh, NARCS, so Northern Australian quarantine strategy. We pretty much look after that, uh, uh, coastline between Broome and Cairns, including the Torres Strait. So that's about 10,000 Ks of coastline. It's like a multidisciplinary team includes like uh, entomologists, plant botanists and pathologists and, uh, obviously veterinarians. And, uh, we work with our community liaison officers and, and work with the indigenous ranger groups and look out for like diseases coming into the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of our work is, is about unregulated pathways of uh, exotic animal diseases and plant diseases coming into the country that we don't want here. So obviously foot and mouth disease is one of those ones. Rabies is a big one. Uh, I find the rabies thing a fascinating thing because uh, we've got to talk to indigenous communities about rabies. Mm-hmm. But how do you talk to a community that has never encountered a rabid dog before? So like a lot of the literature that's out there is all about rabies communication in 
countries where they all know about it. Mm -hmm. Then how do you talk about it in layman's terms uh, in a manner that is going to provide, I guess, some sense of keep an eye out for these cases because uh, rabies is slowly, very, very slowly making its way through Indonesia. And we know that it could come on a foreign fishing vessel like a dog, which is um, preclinical, jumps ship, and then enter into Australia. And then suddenly people go, oh, we've got some angry dogs around here, some crazy dogs. And then how do you get that messaging out there just going, don't try and stop, hold the dog, give us a call, we will come and uh, assist and try and work out if this is truly rabies or not. Gosh, rabies. Okay, well, there's a couple of things. My mind just got blown there. It's like rabies is suddenly making its way through Indonesia. I'm like, holy shit, that's not far away from Australia. I mean, admittedly, the last time it, uh, it made an eastward progression was uh, back in 2011. And so we haven't really heard too much, but it's about having that awareness yeah. and having knowing how far it's progressing because obviously people are getting these animals, putting them on their boats, moving on. You put a dog on your boat for both protection mm. uh, as a gift. Mm. Sometimes if you get stranded, that's food. Mm. Um, like all of those things. So the pathway is there. Um, and some of these dogs look healthy and then it's that incubation period plays in and then suddenly you've got a rabid dog. There was a girl in America, I think, who pretty sure it was America who uh, was in Egypt, picked up this puppy, took it back to America, ended up being a rabid dog because mm. it was in that incubation period. So you're like, whoa, what's going on? Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, it sounds like fascinating work. Do you, how long have you been at this job for now? Uh, been into it for about nine months. Oh, you have? Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, the policy vet. So my, my job is to mostly look at the, the data that's coming out, reported out to it for our national reporting purposes, uh, and then find ways uh, where we can still stay current with the science that's out there. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of my work these days, day to day, is uh, writing up policy or even just getting the data that's out there, whether it's uh, from our team or other teams, plugging it into various software management programs or database management programs, and then pumping out pretty maps. Like, because I find that. People love maps. People like mm-hmm. if you're talking to um, an audience that's non-science or don't have that degree of science that we have as vets, you need to find what is the easiest visual visual tool that you have to uh, convince your stakeholders. And yeah. so I'm, I'm discovering how to play with various software packages like um, Power BI. And uh, at some point I need to learn R, which is probably not the kind of stuff your listeners want to listen to, but it is something that I have to do at some point. I feel like the universe is telling me this. Oh, but I, I think what you're sharing there is is like a, a career pathway, right? Which is not your typical career pathway. Um, you know, and your whole story at the moment is is kind of, uh, you know, don't like surgery, like medicine. And then, um, you know, didn't want to work in a big hospital. Now you're working in, in, in government and, um, and then you're working on something that I wouldn't even know really existed. So... Mm. Um, I think it's just, it, it's highlighting here that actually like just the, the diverse, um, I suppose the, the options are available as a veterinarian, you know? Oh, bloody earth. Yeah. Bloody earth. Yeah. And I, I think that's something which I definitely noticed in, um, uh, vet school was, uh, because I, I definitely knew my pathway was going down public health or public practices, I call it now and trying to figure out 
what my career path would be to get to where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that I had a lot of other people going through vet school around me who had just like had the blinkers on only wanting to think about clinical practice mm-hmm. and that was it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know, for me, I just thought that you miss out on appreciating the breadth of where you can go with this profession. Mm. So, so let's say we've got younger vets than me because <laughs> so new grads or students and they're listening to this and going, oh, yeah, all right, that, that's, that's interesting. So two questions, sell, sell, sell your career path to somebody who has the clinical practice blinkers on what, what's, what's cool about your career and, and B, what do you do to take that career? What is that? What does the journey look like to, to get into that path from, from a, from, oh. with a veteran degree? Okay. So what would I tell young grads? Uh, I mean, like anyone who's going or even semi considering public practice, mm-hmm. I would say go into clinical practice and learn your, you learn your strengths. Okay. Uh, so for me, I definitely found my strength was in communication and I really enjoyed obviously that consult aspect. And, and I found it, it helped me hone my skills in being able to explain complex situations to lay audiences. And then I then, uh, gone down the pathway of where I've gotten to it. Uh, and I think that that's something that's really important for anyone who even has that scarlet of a belief that they're ever going to government. Um, but in terms of anyone who's got those blinkers on and wanting just purely to do that, I, I would always say that never, I guess you don't know what the future holds for you. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't know where you're going to end up. I've, I've got like people who've come into government who have gone and done their memberships in small animal medicine and then suddenly found themselves in government. I've got people who have owned practices for 20 years and then suddenly found themselves in government. Um, and, but then you've got a lot of younger vets as well, sort of like me. I don't consider myself a young vet, sort of, um, who have just dedicated their career path towards getting to where they are. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've recently uh, uh, got a new chapter or exhumed a, a chapter, the public health chapter that's in the uh, Australian and New Zealand uh, College of Veterinary Sciences. And um, so that's that's out there. So that's a pathway that people can, after a few years of practice or work, can now start honing their skills and sitting in membership exams. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally found an alternative pathway where I did a masters in veterinary public health and then went and did my american boards in veterinary preventive medicine in america um because i was just pretty keen to just be in this role wow Uh, or or, or like you know i was really passionate about this uh field of veterinary science um so now i'm I'm board certified as of 2017 yeah you're the only only one in australia no 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 no. there's a couple there's a couple out there i thought thought you're the only one i thought i was too and then i discovered Uh, um uh, uh, the the department has someone who aborted the year before me um however she was working for the food and uh agricultural organization fao at the time and then she's just recently joined uh come back to australia so what's your what's batman's plan to take her out (laughs) <laughs> no no she's an ally <laughs> and, and 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 she's actually a lot more epi focused mm. while i'm very much more public health focused yeah. I, i'm really keen about zoonoses and um i guess communication strategies around what to do mm. um but in terms of young and up-and-comers I, I would say learn to apply the very very basic skills you learned in vet school in the clinic that you're at remember what i was talking about with that paralysis tick case mm. I, those cases, I would just look at the data that we had mm. and then find what is going to be of worth to our clients mm. and, and try and work out how do you present that data in a way that's going to be interesting to them. So I find I, I really enjoy heat maps, 
do up a couple of heat maps and then just go and like just have that there and then point at it where the client lives and just go, you're right in that red spot. Yeah. <laughs> is, there, is there, is there <laughs> anywhere, sorry, I'm quickly, is there anywhere where people can go and look into it? If you, if people are curious, like a, your Facebook pages or oh, yeah. media or <laughs> so, so we have a, um, uh, a Facebook group called the Australian veterinarians in public health. It is an offshoot of the, um, AVA special interest group. I would recommend people to also join the AVA special interest group, AVPH. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a good start stepping ground. Uh, I'm also a co-director of a group called veterinary careers. Uh, mm-hmm. so you can go to veterinarycareers.com.au and you can, um, check out, uh, what, like, I guess, one of the things that we do is we hunt around globally for uh, alternate clinical, uh, alternative to clinical role veterinary roles. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that didn't come out right, but you know what I mean. The, yeah. the so roles, non-clinical. Yeah, non-clinical roles, and um, we would put them on the website so people it's actually visible. Because what you often find is that the people who are uh, who work in HR who are promoting these jobs aren't don't know how to talk to veterinarians. They just know how to talk in HR world. Yeah. And so they're promoting it through what they think everyone's going to, but they don't realize that the clinicians or the vets who should be looking at these ads are looking elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, do you want to say, I interrupted you earlier. No, I was just like, what, what does a lay person's heat map look like? And I just imagined yeah. a, a screenshot of my screen and I got a pen and I was just like inking dots on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just like, I show this heat map and they're like, did you just draw on a Google map image? I mean, like, no, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 but it's, it's just, yeah. Finding, finding what are the simple tools that are out there and, and there are plenty out there. Yes. Using Google maps and you could go with, uh, if <laughs> depending on how much your nurses love you, you get all your practice managers, just like get a highlighter and just go over the top of it. <laughs> Don't do not do that. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to come back to your website, guys. So you're the director. Did you start? Are you one of the, the founders of that? Did you? Did yes. You start it up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically, it was it was well the the original brainchild of it was uh, of uh, Emma um, Haslam, uh, or Emma Davis, and she was the one who came up with this idea, and then she got a couple of us to come on board as directors, and. Um, I think the website's just had a recent facelift. Mm. And so Emma's um, trying to just keep that machine going and also trying to explore the world of uh, veterinary coaching as well. Um, mm. Because there's, there's, a, there's a probably, an, as we, you guys probably all have discussed in the past, there's a need for people to sort of guide their careers. Mm. And uh, coaching is one of those pathways to do it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great site. I, I had a browse through it the other day and I, I must admit I am. Um, yeah it gave me itchy feet looking at all those jobs like oh that's there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting stuff out there well well, that's that's the thing which i think people don't realize is that when you when you start looking there's tons of career options that are out there and i i guess it's one of my pet frustrations when people say oh i'm leaving the profession because i can't see an option for me in clinical practice and i'm like Mm. guys there's so much more out there Mm. emma's um i've met emma actually a couple times and um we uh, did coaching together. So, and I, and I do totally believe that coaching can um, help just uh, develop. I mean, when you're stuck, when you're stuck and you feel like you have no options, mm. you think I should be able to figure this out by myself. Um, but actually having someone who's skilled at coaching can work you through the most impossible um, uh, problem that you have. And then 
develop a, a, a path of moving forward and then help you actually be accountable towards the, the, the path and decisions that you make. Um, so like I, I myself actually at a stage had two coaches um, and I got, wow. I got one at the moment who is assisting me in the rollout of, of, a, of a couple of projects. And honestly, it's, it's the best thing. Um, I'm, like I don't, we don't talk about um, everyday kind of things. It's kind of what do we need to get you on track. You know, what are you stuck on? Why are you, why are you stuck there? Who do you need to speak to? What do you need to do? And just helps move you forward. And it helps, I suppose, add a different perspective or gets you to consider a different perspective. Your career might be actually more enjoyable than you think it is um, mm. when viewed from a different way. So, mm. Mm. Yeah, well, Usain Bolt didn't get to where he was just on his own. No, no. That's a very good point. <laughs> I, I, your, your coach, Gerardo, are they vet specific or just general business business coach? No, one was a, one is a performance coach um, because I consider myself as a as a professional, betting professional, but also consider myself as a like almost like a performance athlete. Um, mm-hmm. I view that I think uh, my belief is that every veterinarian should consider themselves as veterinary professionals and they should do everything they can to, you know, upskill develop. And that's not just clinical that's, mm. that that's mental health. That's, uh, you know, focus, um, whatever, whatever it is that we, where you feel like as if you are um, not achieving, um, or not, 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 you know, achieving the goals you set out to do. That's where coaching come in handy, and and um, my second coach is actually a public speaker slash behavior slash mentalist coach. So um, helping uh, assist with um, some projects which are more personal related. So I I I can't do the things I do. Um, mm. I, I definitely couldn't do the things that I do now if it wasn't for the assistance of coaches. So yeah, yeah. yeah. No, totally agree. Mm. Totally agree. It's a great attitude that continuous learning. I think many of us, and certainly myself included, at a, as a as a at least as a as a new graduate, you go, okay, well, I've got my degree, I'm done. I'm co- I'm a complete picture. Let's take on the world, and I I've, I've, I'm finished learning. Mm. And that's a, that's that's a, and I, I think I was guilty of that for a long time. Uh, but that's. That's not a great attitude. That's not going to no, attitude. no. I, I mean, I, I went through uh, during my science degree with, uh, through uh, science with a lot of, uh, I guess, people who ended up in medicine. And I, 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 while I was going through vet school, I saw these guys coming out of medicine and just going, wow, you guys are still studying. And I guess that's what we are also having to do as veterinarians. And I guess I've always just thought it was it came with the territory hmm. uh, you for you to be a good, like I always tell, uh, and like I remember hearing, I said, Gordon, Gordon from uh, Double Bay Vets, he uh, he came and spoke to um, the uh, final year vet students and he just said, by the time you guys graduate, you're going to be the smartest vets at that point in time because you know what the latest stuff is. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's in, in my vintage mm. has forgotten all the latest stuff mm. and and you've mm-hmm. got, like it's, it's a lot of hard work to try and keep up with it all. And you've yeah. just like, and the problem is we end up start putting ourselves down these niche areas mm. and you forget everything else. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how would you feel Gerardo if someone came to you with a horse with colic? Oh, see, I'm completely happy with the things that I don't know. And I've, I've tackled that demon of, of wanting to, <laughs> and believing that I should know everything. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, but I, I, I think that the non-clinical aspect of your job often gets forgotten. 
Oh, bloody earth, yeah. And I think um, when you go through vet school, you kind of grumble about having to learn all of these mm. soft skills and you're just like, that's not what vets are. And you're like, ultimately, to be a successful veterinarian, mm. hell, to be even a good veterinarian, you need to have all those soft skills behind you. Mm. Mm. Totally. That's, that's why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were just going to start bashing anti-vaxxers. <laughs> no, we, we could get there. We could get there. <laughs> So, so we, we talked a little bit before we started recording. Um, so up until recently, you were still doing small animal clinical practice as, yes. as well, Guy, but not anymore with your, with your current job? Yes, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I guess the, the sweet irony of that is I, I won that um, Hills Wasava Next Generation Small Animal Vet Award at yes. the same, around the same time. <laughs> and I sort of almost felt like that whole imposter syndrome over my shoulder just going, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you taking this award when, you know, you are slowly drifting away into government land? Um, I guess why I am now full-time government and not doing any more small animal practice is pretty much uh, what I've got a 14 month old son Mm -hmm. and trying to juggle uh, government work as well as parenting Mm -hmm. and trying to be a supportive husband, trying to then throw in what I, what, could be called a hobby now is doing the small animal side of things. Like I genuinely enjoy doing it at the same time. It's probably taking away that time that I could be being dad. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to take a break from doing small animal practice for a little while. Uh, my wife's just about to start sitting her well, studying for her fellowships in emergency medicine in, in humans. And so she's, um, the next 18 months she's going to be pretty damn busy so i'm going to have to take up that mental load a little bit more wow. yes it's a it's a challenge i i must admit when i was when i was reading about you and all the stuff you do so small animal work plus veteran public health plus this plus the director at a website and uh, and then oh and, and he has a baby i was like oh there goes my excuse because my excuse normally is. <laughs> all, our, all our guests so far and when i deal with gerardo I, I, my excuse is always yeah but they don't have kids things slow down it all slows down and 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 i wasn't expecting that oh really uh, you weren't <laughs> yeah no, no. But, but, and like literally everyone would say yeah your life's going to change um, in fact, a few people chose a few choice, you know, four letter words at the same time yes. to, to just say, yeah, you're, you're screwed now. Um, and, and it's true. And like, you know what, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, just to, to drop a few of those things off. Hmm. Um, I, I used to be very, very involved in the AVA. Now I just maintain my membership and hmm. just still sit on a couple of committees, but I'm not going to. Like I, I used to run conferences and stuff and now and like my last conference was in November and I was just sort of fatigued out just going, I just can't do this. Mm-hmm. Mm. So how, how old did you say your, your, your son is now? 14 months. So at least you're getting proper sleep again or not quite yet? Well, yeah, I, th- I thought we were until last <laughs> night and then he was very much um, uh, crying and screaming at about 11 o'clock in, in the night. Oh. So um, he came and slept in our bed and so obviously sleep was an optional extra last night. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Um, are they like, and, are they like, are they like little like pets? You know, when, when you have a pet in the bed, you don't want to upset the pets. So you're sleeping in some contorted kind just of like this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. weird um, dance I, position. And then you're just like, I don't want to wake him. And then you're, <laughs> then you're busting to go for a piss 
and then you don't want to get out of bed because it might wake them up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. when, when my wife coughed, I was just like stare, daring daggers at her, just going, why are you coughing? He's sleeping. <laughs> um, but it's one of our friends describes it aptly. It's, it's like, and it, like, this is the first time Elliot slept in our bed for like ever. So mm-hmm. like, it feels like forever. Um, and it's like sleeping with a drunk octopus. <laughs> There's <laughs> hands and butts everywhere and you're just wiggling around and you're just like, ah, okay, this is, this is it. This is parenting. Yes. Yes. So I, 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 uh, my, my only advice, so I've got a, I've got a third at the moment. We've got a, Oh wow. Um, yeah. Stupid is as stupid as, as I say. <laughs> uh, so I've got a, an eight-month-old. It's the number three at the at the at the moment. My my early advice would be a spare bed somewhere else in the house for either yourself or your wife, so that yeah, because two people can sleep in a bed fine. Three people, not so much. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. one of the adults leaves, and then one adult stays. And, and sell sell like like you guys are emergency vets, sells an emergency doctors. So she does stupid hours, and so she will need that spare bed too. Yeah, no, it's a it's a lifesaver for for, for me at least. Yeah, so you know, parent parenting's great. It's just been this insane kind of uh, like you can be really, really good at one thing, and then suddenly this little creature comes along, and you're just like, I know absolutely nothing about how to keep you alive, <laughs> and and you're kind of like, you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm okay with like handling medical cases that come through the door, but with pets, but when it's when it's human, I'm just like, no, nah, I'm in I'm in the dark. Absolutely, and the and especially with the. When this, the soft skills side of it, if you, if you want to call it that, the, the sleep, trading, and when they, you know, yeah. why are they so unhappy? Why are they so bad? I, I struggled my firstborn. I, I try to approach it like a case. So mm. I, I was convinced I can diagnose it. And if I can diagnose it, I can fix it. And I just, it drove me absolutely nuts because you, you can't. You think you've got it, you, you get in control of it, and then things go to pieces again. With this one, by the third one, I was like, oh, give a shit. It's one day. <laughs> One day he'll sleep again. I don't. I don't know what's wrong with him, but I can't fix it. <laughs> One day he'll sleep again. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just begrudgingly accept that that's, go, the, that's the future. The way it is. <laughs> I have no comments there. Like no, that's fine, man. Yeah. That's fine. You you just you just lap it up. Yeah. You just, just live the life. <laughs> you enjoy your sleep. <laughs> I do. I do. I know. I do get phone calls in the middle of the night at two a.m. where I after off the clinical advice over the phone, staring at pictures and of, of slides and videos of ultrasounds. So, but having said that, it's, it, I do like that. So, but G, have you got any questions? No, actually, I've I've asked I all can... my questions. Um, oh, no, I, I've got heaps more. Guy, let us know if you if you're running out of time. G, yeah, no, no, I'm I good. I think my wife comes home at eleven, so I've got Happy to an chat. hour and a half to kill. So yeah. Okay, cool. I've got the, a wine. The um. It's sort of a theme to your career so far. Well, not a theme, but certainly there's a lot of diversification, or there, or there, or there was. Mm. Um, was that a decision to to do that, or did it? Is that just the way it worked out to to get where you wanted to be? No, I, I think I just enjoyed the diversity. I, mm. I did not envisage uh, like it, there was no there, there was probably a little bit of strategy in terms of getting to where I want to be in terms of vet public health. But doing all the other stuff was just stuff that kept my um, my brain trying to reach out and look at other things and explore other things and never think that anything is ever going to be static in life. Mm. Um, so I, that's why I still kept on doing small animal practice. And I, I have to admit, I just genuinely enjoyed doing medical consults. Like it, it's just so much fun. Uh, and then learning how to uh, get involved in directorship roles and um, – 
looking after a website and doing all of those things that had to like help me push my brain in a totally different direction. Uh, And that's coming into like being really handy when in government work as well. Like we've got all these websites coming along and databases being developed. And I'm like, Oh, I can, I sort of know that language speaking. We've got IT people here and I can sort of, sort of drop a few words that they might recognize and makes me sound like I'm not a complete noob. Um, That really helps. Uh, because the world's not just made of debts. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly. You, you, yeah. you mentioned before that you're still on a couple of boards with regards to the AVA and... Um, oh, just 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 on um, committees. Yeah, committees. But also, committees. you know, the, the, I think I asked this, this question to Paula, but also quite interested to see how, how you answer it as well. And it's something that um, I've tackled and still tackle. But it's kind of stepping into a particular area or stepping onto, um, uh, I, I suppose something like a committee or a board and, and, and dealing with the, the internal chatter, which is, you know, the imposter syndrome. Do I, do I know enough to be here? You know, there are some important people on this sitting around this table here. Should I even speak up, you know, or like, what can I contribute to, to, to the, to the kind of caliber of people that are, that are sitting around me? have you tackled that or is that something that you'd kind of been okay with or what would your, how did you cope? Uh, it's, it's a mixture of two things. So like I, I, I feel, I feel like I, because I came into vet school as a mature age student, kind of like a stinky cheese. Um, <laughs> I had this, I, I was totally fine with asking questions in, 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 in class. Right. So you, I was that annoying mature age student just, but I didn't like, you know, do the whole turnaround and stage going, some of us are here to learn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I still, I still felt it was fine to just ask questions because probably someone else in that room was also thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I discovered that I probably, I had this voice that some, for some reason people sort of listened to it. So I was like, okay, let's, let's try and direct this in, in a, more useful manner. Mm. Um, the other part of it is, yeah, I, d- I always feel like I've got the imposter syndrome every time I step into a meeting, every time I step into a committee meeting or a policy council meeting. Um, when I went and pitched uh, why the ABA should have a position statement on climate change, I felt like the biggest imposter sitting in there because I was just like, all these big names in, in the veterinary profession in Australia sitting around here. And here's me. Who's like, I think that was 2015. So I was only like four years out of vet school, uh, just coming along, just going, you guys need to take climate change seriously. And this is why. Um, and you know, the following year we got it ratified into, um, uh, AVA policy and positions. Uh, so I think it's uh, what I always tell myself is that, often you're invited to be there. So someone else has thought you have a valuable insight to provide. Mm. So don't let your own inner demons sort of get in the way and prevent your voice from being heard. Mm. Um, Obviously I I always wait for someone to just go stand down. You don't need to say anymore. You've said enough. And sometimes that has happened, Um, (laughs) but at least having a voice and being able to say something is really, really important. And it, it's, I, I feel like it's a privilege to be able to always be given that opportunity um, and always recommend anyone to just jump to any of the committees uh, that are out there. I love it. How you said that it was just that you, you forget that actually people see something in you and, and you've demonstrated something that they've seen as valuable mm. when um, it, 
when often what it is 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 it's it's your inner demons, your inner in in the thoughts saying that you're not capable, you don't know enough. How can you? And, and, and a half wonder is it's your record. Do you reckon it's it's our negative biases that we carry? Like like we we it's almost like we have a preference for negative bias. And uh, I always think about it like in terms of you have a busy day of consults, mm. you have all these great consults, and then you have one shitty consult, mm. and that's yeah. all you remember the entire day. Yeah, you yeah. have some amazing puppy consults and all of those other things, and you like help diagnose things in pets, but you have one shitty consult, one bad client, and then suddenly your entire day's ruined. Like it's it's crazy how that demon gets up creeps up and really impacts on your day i think it's all my thought on this is that it's around protection preservation Mm. you know you you, there's no there's no not so much about there is value in remembering the good things right but there's always lessons to be learned so that you don't have to experience that thing again so Mm. uh, you know you, you dwell on the bad so that you can develop strategies and how to stop that from happening again and it's just becomes the the thing that you do at, you know, it's it's and when you stepping into something which is beyond something new, um, or you know stepping up into a position, then your brain's telling you don't do this because it's protecting. It's a self preservation. You know, it, yeah, it doesn't want you to feel embarrassed because remember the last time you felt embarrassed, everyone laughed at you. It's kind of stopping you, and it's literally just you, you got to learn how to. Don't listen to the inner demons. I don't think I don't think there's power in suppressing them. I think what you suppress, what you resist, persists. Um, mm. It's a matter of just letting it flow past. And then there's something cool that I've been trying recently, and 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 it's part of acceptance theory, and um, that is uh, just thanking your brain. Thanks, brain. That was helpful, right? You know, like. You don't and not to... and, and not in a sarcastic way. No, thanks, you, <laughs> thanks, you stupid piece of shit. Yeah. No, really, but it's, it's like thank you. And you just like you just thank it, thank you, and then you let it go because if you you fight it, suppress it, then it comes back bigger and harder later. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so, so in other words, thanking it for for trying to take care of you. I'm not in all seriousness. No, mm. you go. Okay, thanks for thanks for looking out for me. Thanks for looking at me. Uh, I, I, I understand good. what you're trying to do, but thanks. Yeah, I'm, mm. gonna, I'm gonna ignore that bit of advice. Yeah, you're good. There's there's okay. a Buddhist philosophy around um, demons and how they're actually considered teachers. You like if you sort of reframe your demons as mm. there's lessons to be learned out of you, and that's exactly what you're talking about, Gerardo. It's just that yeah, if you can reframe how you look at uh, bad encounters or toxic events. And just go okay what could i've done better what what can i how can i have avoided that or prevented that from happening once again this is my preventive brain going okay if, if this mm. keeps on happening on a regular basis what are you doing wrong to make that mm. happen mm. um and, but having that time to reflect is also critical mm. uh and and that that requires just stepping away from the vet practice i, I remember my old practice we used to have a, uh, a vet she would at lunchtime would just get out of the clinic mm. for a whole hour and just just you know, go to the beach or whatever else. And that was her way of just sort of switching that side of things, not talking just vetty stuff. Mm. And I feel like that's a really healthy way to sort of live life. Mm. What, what, what you said earlier, um, Guy, about that, how the negative things stick and you, and you mm. don't notice the, the positive things. I, I have a strategy on, on that um, at, the, at the end of a shift. If, if I, so especially with night shift, exhausted anyway as so i'm over emotional i'm close to close to tears regardless of what happened the night before um but if, if i had it if i have that feeling of oh that was really tough that was you know client shouted at me or 
we lost a patient that I feel I shouldn't have lost. Um, and you have that down, depressed feeling. I'll sit in the car before I drive home. And, and it's not, you say you need time, you literally need five minutes. And just um, just think about the night and mentally go through the, the things I've seen and done. And, mm. and so I'll, I'll start with those negative ones and evaluate them. As you say, look at, okay, so what actually happened there? Was it, was it partially my fault? Could I have done something better? What could I do better next time? No, okay, move on from it. Um, yes, learn from it. And then go through, oh, but remember that dog, that one that we saved or that really lovely client who was so grateful. And then inevitably it'll be nine to one positive to negative. Yeah. And by the end of that thought process will be, oh, actually there was a great shift. Mm. I just, I'm just remembering my, my, my mind's jumping to the negative ones. Well, I actually had a fabulous shift. I'm going to go home. What was it, uh, what, there's some sort of statistic and it's probably a really bad pop psychology thing mm-hmm. about um, the really successful or happy people in higher positions often keep gratitude diaries. Mm-hmm. Like they reflect on things that made them happy through the day. Yeah. And yeah. if you do that on a daily basis, apparently you, you are going to be a much happier person. I, I think there is actual evidence behind that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't do it, but I've, I've heard it. Right, it's just showing it on the camera. Good. Oh, cool. <laughs> And does it work for you, Gerardo? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. It's part of, it's a performance thing, really. It's, you got to, it, you, I, no performer, as you said, Usain Bolt, he doesn't just rely on random occurrences and, and thoughts to make things happen. Like, he adds a structure to his day. He adds mm. a structure to his thoughts. He has a structure to everything. Um, and... Yeah, like uh, uh, highly successful, high-performing people have structures. They have diaries. They have thing. They have prompts. So I have a, a diary, and and it, it prompts me to think about, like, what is my key message today? What, what how can I be today that um, can bring value to someone else? Who is a person that I can reach out to and thank and show appreciation to? You know, mm. What is you know, what is the person that I want to be today? And and then you have the nighttime, and that's reflection upon what was a moment you cherished in the day? Um, in, and, you know, like as a, as a coach to yourself, what would you do better today? So, um, and going through that process and it's, and it's hard to make it happen because it takes about 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night. But yeah. um, I, I think I totally believe it, it. It makes a difference. And it's been one of the things that have, that is, that have actually helped me become more professional. Um, and we talked about this before, but, um, the struggle that I have or had was um, the person that I was in the hospital uh, as a veterinarian was a, a joker, a person who used to joke all the time and say inappropriate things because it's funny. And then, and then like, it, it was just, I was the really, I was really well liked um, and had, um, you know, like a, a great relationships. Um, but then when I transitioned into management and then into directorship and to, business ownership, you know, there are, there are things that I, and, and I had to intentionally over the last two years change the way that I was in a more professional manager, uh, in, in a more professional manner. And I needed a structure to that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and ha- have you still been able to maintain elements of who you were prior? Mm, totally. Like that's why it's, it's still a process because I, 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 I still make jokes and still play pranks. Um, but there are certain areas where I don't go. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's just one of those things. Is like I, I, I've I've always been meaning to do like uh, getting uh, public speaking coaching, but one of my big fears is that it would ruin 
my style, which is rather chaotic in its own kind of way. But uh, I think, as, as you said, we're professional. So if you want to be a professional in, in public speaking or any other thing, you need to have that structure and then work out which roles, which rules you can bend. Mm. 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 Fantastic. Right. It's probably time to, to start wrapping up guys. Gerardo, have we got time for, for the, for the, for two of the, of the quick questions? Go for it. Yeah. All right, guy books. Are you a reader? Uh, yes, yes, I am. Um, I, what am I reading? Yeah. What couldn't, what, what do I need to read? What should I add to what? To what, what do we all need to add to our reading list this year? Oh, look, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised when I say that I'm a big science fiction and fantasy nerd. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with any of the science sci-fi fantasy novels out Not there? Really. I, I used to read a hell of a lot of sci-fi. So, okay. did you did you ever read any of Raymond E. Feist novels, Magician, and all yeah, of that? Yeah, I've, I actually own like the whole entire series or something. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I remember reading the first book when I was like 14, you know, moved up to Mackay. My parents had split up, oh. really struggled with all things fantasy. And then this librarian, I was just like, oh, I really can't stand Tolkien. It's just all too lofty language. It's and she's like, dense. read this book. Yeah. yeah. So she grabbed the magician, gave it to me and read it. And I think I completed it within like a, a week or two. Yeah. And so to me, it's always had this very pivotal moment in my life. Mm. And then like I read the series and then obviously got into vet school, stopped reading it. And then the last book came out in what, 2013, right? Yeah. Magician's End. Yeah. And then I only just finally read the last book maybe a couple of weeks ago. And I had this like almost mourning, the sense of mourning of just going. Oh, <laughs> it's like 20 books of the series. It's like long yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And then, yeah. But then like it's been such a pivotal part of my life since I was like 13. Now I'm what coming up to 37. So, um, you know, uh, 23 years of just reading this one series uh, and just going, holy cow, that's like been such a big part of my life. Then they're not the world's most uh, well-written books. Mm. Like there's some things that sort of fall apart near the end, but mm. you know what? It's still, still, uh, I guess it's, it's amazing what the value you can put into those um, books mm. and how much of an impact they have had on your uh, upbringing. Um, and I used to read the Discworld novel series. Like I love Terry Pratchett and all his work. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I kind of went through that, uh, you know, the, the, the five stages of grief after finishing that last book, just going, <laughs> what am I going to read now? And then, and then like, and like, like, like someone who's been dumped and then going onto Tinder, trying to find, you know, the quickest thing. And so trying to like going onto my phone and just going, what are the next novel series? That I need to read? Okay. Rebound. <laughs> what's, what's my rebound yeah. series? Right? Yeah, rebound so I'm, I'm reading like uh, the, the lies of Locke Lamora. Oh, I read that one. I read yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah so I like I'm, that. So I've, I've started it. I'm, I'm about uh, a third of the way through. I'm, I'm enjoying it. It is quite good. I, I think I heard of that on a, on, a, on another podcast, actually, as a book recommendation. And I thought, because I don't read fantasy, yeah. I should give it a try. I did enjoy it. But that, is, is there a follow-up to that yet? Which, like the, the, to Lies of, Lies of Locke Nomura, did they? No idea. I, think, not, there, I, don't, I, think, there, I think there are. They, right? the, when I finished it, it was, I was really keen to do the next one, and then it was still in yeah. the pipeline. It wasn't, wasn't uh, out yet, so okay. I should actually look again. I'm just going to check follow. my iBooks and see whether there has been another one that's come out. Um, but, yeah, no, so that, that's – and, like, I've, I think I've downloaded a couple of other um, uh, other fantasy novel mm. series just to sort of pick up something different. When you, when you bring um, up fantasy novels – um, yeah. Because I had fond memories when I was a child reading fantasy novels as well. David Eddings. Um, yes. Yes. Throne was the first fantasy novel I've ever read. Um, but I, Alex and I, and Rob, 
the business partners, um, we did uh, the Kokoda Challenge, which is a 96-kilometer trail run. And we trained for like nine months beforehand and we used to run close to, oh, like on peak, peak weeks, we would do 80Ks a week. And that was a lot of time running, like a lot. And mm. I went through and I listened to all of Dave and Eddie's all over again, all <laughs> of like both series and then also um, Ramity Feist all really? over again. And now when I think of fantasy, all I can experience is, is pain. pain and running and four feet and blisters. Uh, right. And yeah, so yeah, I, don't, I haven't picked up a fantasy novel since. <laughs> hey, Hugh, so there, there are two other books out there that have come out. The Red yeah. Seas, Under Red Skies and The Republic of Thieves. Ooh, all right. um, the other book that, that I, I finished, uh, it was like, it was literally my rebound after the Magician series was, it's called The Magicians by Lev Grossman. Really? It's like dating the girl with the same name, right? Like your ex, right? Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, but The Magicians is meant to be like, Harry Potter for adults. Oh. Okay. But it, it ends up being like if Narnia series, if the Narnia series was set in real world. Oh. Okay. Cool. Um, it's, it's so okay. Worth it's worth the read. Oh, it's, it's look, I, I churned through it pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, yeah. the first book and it's, 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 it's okay. It's not bad. Once again, I was still mourning, but I still said, let's get through <laughs> this. Now I'm, I'm just onto lives of Lamora. Mm. Yeah. Nice. I, I should actually look at that. that, that thanks for that. that, that that's going to be my next one. All right, and then the last one, um, we always finish with this question. So you're at a, at a congress somewhere because you're, the, because you're the small animal vet of the world's best small animal vet or whatever. Mm. <laughs> um, they choose you to speak at a congress. Uh-huh. And um, you're now drinking that wine. You have, uh, <laughs> and you've got most of the world's veterinary new graduates in front of you. Mm. And you've got a couple of minutes, two, two minutes to give them one bit of advice. What, what's your advice? Oh, good grief. Um, <laughs> I think... One thing, I, I mean, I, I could talk to them about antimicrobial resistance and why I'm passionate <laughs> about it. But if I could talk to new graduates, because I know that 85% of them are all going to be clinical practitioners, I would uh-huh. tell them, get good at euthanasias. Like, okay. treat it like an art and, mm-hmm. and find your style for it. I remember doing my first euthanasia and like, A, having to tell someone we had to put their dog down. And I was just like this almost semi-blubbering mess and not knowing exactly what to say. And then this this vet who I worked with, she, she just said, look, go out the back, write down exactly what you want to be saying. Yeah. And then sort of recite it and then practice it and then use that at the next time you're doing a euthanasia. So have a down pat of exactly what you're going to be saying and then what you want to finish up with. And to me, that really helped because I don't know about you guys, but for me, the, the, usually the only time whenever you start getting gifts is when you euthanize someone's pet. Mm-hmm. And if you do a good euthanasia, I feel like that's what people remember you for. I I remember living in New Zealand and having little old ladies coming up to me just going, I hear you're really good at killing cats. And I'm just like, (laughs) cool. Yeah, look, if that's what you're going to remember me by, so be it. Um, And so like uh, I I would tell people about like how we're using an anesthetic overdose and it's going to go up into the brain. The brain goes to sleep and the rest of the body follows through. And Mm. you might see a few things here and there and sort of Mm. explain that out. Mm. Um, And then I always tell the client, like I always line the animal up with a um, uh, cannula and and a line and I go cuddle Fluffy because like Fluffy's going to freak out if it's anyone else but mm. you. 
mm. be there and then start giving it. Um, sometimes if I, if, if I have a very generous cl- uh, practice owner, I line up the um, cannula line with uh, leftover alfaxine and follow that through with a chaser of lethobarb and then just sort of be there with the client, know when to step out of the room, mm. allow them to mourn their pet mm. uh, and then walk them out like, that's that's their life that you're often holding. Like for a lot of like, especially a lot of little old ladies, is that mm. their pet that you're holding is their child, and so you you treat that mm. uh, body as 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 you would one of your own. Mm. Um, and then I often will say, look, you know, go home. Don't dwell on exactly how we got to this situation right here, right now. Think about all the years you've had with Fluffy. Mm-hmm. Pour yourself a cup of tea or something stronger. Um, and uh, then uh, just think about the good times. And then often you do a follow-up call later on down the track. Mm. And I find, I feel like if, if, if there's anything, and like every time I've had a new grad come through or a student come through, that's the one thing I always stress to them is be good at euthanasias. Find your own style. Don't try and imitate what I do, mm. but mm. just find the style that works for you and just go with that and just be, be authentic with what you do. Mm. Yeah. Great stuff. Oh, I don't know I if that's a two-minute spiel no, in front of Congress, cool. but I, I love this question. I, I, every every time somebody gives an answer, I go, "Oh yeah, that that is the thing. That is the one. <laughs> that's the one thing. <laughs> so good, uh, and it's such diverse answers. It's just yeah. like the just like the whole podcast. It's I, I love I love all yeah all, all, the, the, all the diverse so, people that we get to meet. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. What podcast are you guys listening to? Oh, mm. Gerardo, you go. I listen to a lot of um, performance podcasts, performance, okay. um, performance and leadership. So how could I, how could I improve me in the areas where I struggle? Um, not necessarily clinical at this stage. Um, I, I feel okay with my clinical. I am involved with clinical training. So I, I keep up to date that way, but I always think there's, there's, there's room to, to, to improve and, and improve efficiency and, and productivity, not through working more, but through working faster, sometimes more mm-hmm. like actually working with more focus. Um, then also actually deciding what's important, you know, so names, it's names. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's chat more yeah. names. <laughs> more now. Well, it's, it's Brendan Bouchard is the, the world leading um, performance coach. Um, I listen to a lot of his stuff. He actually has a really good podcast called HPX. That's mm-hmm. HPX, and mm-hmm. he, he he picks the best of other podcasts. So, okay. and it's a really broad one. It's not just all about performance, but it's about mind, body, health. Um, okay. So it, it's actually been really good because it, it, it helps diversify what I listen to. Um, and in there is all leadership and, and building teams. And my one of my most important roles is is developing teams. So because if 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 I want to move on to bigger and better things, then I need to make sure that there was someone there who can do my job better than what I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anything else you, you recommend? Um, Tony Robbins stuff's really good. Um, but um, HPX is, is, is in Brendan Bouchard is, is, is the stuff that actually I think has made the biggest bang for the buck. So, cool. Mm. You? Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss. Uh, just because again, it's quite diverse. Um, it'll be so are you familiar with this stuff so just i I feel like someone's recommended his work to me before yeah so he just interviews again high high performers or six very successful people but that's from all fields so Mm. maybe anything from i really like it he quite often will speak to writers um so you mentioned um 
the disc book Terry Pratchett recently. So the most recent episode was with oh man, I'm gonna forget, but with a, with an author who actually wrote oh Neil Gaiman. I Neil saw Gaiman. yes because I Neil saw uh, Neil Gaiman share Tim Ferriss's yeah, podcast with yeah. him. Yes, so Neil, you should listen to that if you if you're into. Right. So he he talks about Terry Terry quite a lot yeah. um, about when they work together and. So that's really good. And um, yeah, so I like Tim Ferriss. I like his stuff. Um, the Hardcore History series. If you haven't come across that, that's spectacular. That's hours and hours of podcasts. <laughs> and they, but seriously, I, 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 listen, I listen when I drive to work. I've got quite a long commute. Yeah. Um, they three, four hour episodes and I can't wait for the next one. Um, that's really spectacular. Uh, look, I, I listen. I'm, I'm a bit of a podcast addict. Um, so those are probably two of my, my most regular favorites. Recent ones. I recently discovered the, the Paris Review. Um, that's just uh, the Paris Review is is writing. It's it's mm-hmm. um, it's from it's back from the 1940s or 50s or something. It's in, interviews with authors um, oh, yeah. about how they write and their writing style and and then reading excerpts of of their writing. So that's that's when I'm feeling more creative and less management minded. Yeah, that's probably enough for now. But no, I'll I'll, I'll I'm constantly on the search for 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 new and good podcasts. Have you nice. have you got any? Oh, look, I am a podcast fiend. Uh, the ones. Yeah, I, I just for me it's it's a lot of com- comedian podcasts like i said I, I i gain inspiration from how these guys are able to take certain concepts weave it into a story and then win people over um some of them bomb spectacularly and others do it reasonably well so uh like i'm a big fan of a lot of will anderson's podcasts so willosophy um mm-hmm. uh, he does tofop and um uh who else sorry that's um that's that that was literally me pressing the, the wrong button. Yeah. 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 Um uh I, I'm big fan of the little dum dum club. Now it is not for everyone. I'm re- putting that out there now. There's mm-hmm. lots of F bombs, there's lots of C bombs, it's just it's just bananas. But you know what? I, I love it because uh we sort of live in this very constrained world of uh language you can use and these guys just don't give a rat and they yeah. just let loose at each other. They get comedians on, it's pretty much just them ripping on each other. Okay. And I, I generally enjoy that. that. That to me is just a, a stress reliever. Uh, yeah. The offshoot of that one was Fitbit. So Fitbit. Uh, are you guys familiar with Dilruk Jaisinger? He won the Logie for best new uh, comer last year. Uh-uh. Um, and he's currently at uh, the Melbourne Comedy International, International Comedy Festival. Um, he pretty much, him and his, this buddy, uh, Ben Lomas, they're sitting around 120 kilos each. And it's pretty much their journey to try and lose that weight. Oh, and they're, they're, the premise is that it's whoever can get a, under a hundred kilos gets a thousand dollars. The journey sort of evolves from there. And it's more, it's more about me- the mental health journey that occurs along the way. Oh, oh that's cool. Yeah. Really recommend that. That's brilliant. All right. Uh, once again, something you probably, you probably don't want to listen to in front of kids. Okay. No, no, my my, my pod, podcasting is me time. That's what I, <laughs> I mean. Like I listen to this American Life and all of that stuff, and you know, various sciencey podcasts. But they're the ones that I genuinely enjoy and look forward to on a regular basis. Yeah, mm. it's a spectacular medium. Yeah, yeah. podcasts. I love me, it. Uh, uh, research, research, and and um, homework. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> my 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 zone out time is actually watching. Um, youtube starcraft videos so all right <laughs> the korean videos yeah. korean they, they are they are professional computer game players and it's okay it's, so 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 this is a nerdy um, aside but um when we were going through vet school me and two other buddies we just played starcraft like the original starcraft yeah uh like we would come land our computers up and then just play that and that's how 
much we're into it. And then on, uh, I think in uh, sometime in final year, we made a bet with one of our buddies, Rob Wilkinson. I don't know if you've ever met him. He's got a big old beard. Um, usually would wear sunglasses in class and you're just like, what's going on with you, buddy? Um, but he, he was one of my housemates and we made a bet with him that he... Uh, to play against one of our mates in StarCraft. And if he lost, he would shave off his beard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and like, we, you know, we were pretty okay, but Rob was very much all over StarCraft. And so we had a Korean classmate going through vet school. <laughs> and so we, we, we asked, we go, Min Q, how could he at StarCraft? He's like, I'm all right. All right, all right. Come and, come and sub in as Jimmy. <laughs> and so Jimmy was playing from his house. Uh, and then Rob's just like, what the fuck is going on here? And it's like, there's Zerg coming around. Front oh, that's the just got smashed. And so he had to like shave his beard off. And then like at final uh, dinner, we, we put the photo of Minkyu playing. <laughs> <laughs> like coming up on the montage. And so I like, was like, Rob, check that out. He's like, what? <laughs> and like, yes, it's very nerdy, but that's what got, got us through vet school. Oh. <laughs> I, I, when I was a, when I was in fourth year, when I was um, part of the UKBSA and president and, and studying and so forth, I got. Um, mm. This was actually my segue out of playing computer games. Um, I played WoW, uh, World of Warcraft. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I got a couple of characters up to level sixty. My GPA for that whole entire year dropped one whole GPA. You don't want to blame it on UKBSA. You're going to blame it on WoW. I'm going to blame it on WoW. And I'm surprised <laughs> I passed that year. But then at the end, I, I actually gave up gaming like like as much as I used to play. And I, I now what it is, is is I live vicariously through professional StarCraft players. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, Yeah, I... I just don't have the time for that anymore. <laughs> I think that's something that definitely I gave up while trying to juggle everything else pre-child. Now that Elliot's come say. along, I'm just like, yeah, no, no chance. No chance. No yeah. chance. Soon, soon enough, your, your battle will, with video games will be keeping Elliot off the, mm, off the computer games. Right. Which mm, I, bet. I think, uh, I think we'll, we'll play StarCraft with him. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, All right, guys. Thank you very much for, for jumping on. Um, that was... That was Heaps of fun. Thank you. It is heaps of fun. I no, can't thank wait you, to, Thanks to for having me. I'm like, I mean, like, how, how could someone who's like into public health and Epi be worthwhile in this situation? But it's just, it's just fun shooting it. No, it but you're the world's best small animal vet. Officially. <laughs> I'm last he, year still he still is. He still is. Yes, no, I haven't seen the new one, so yeah. in my mind, it's still new. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Have a great night. relationship with smallies it's not creepy at all eh? <laughs> <laughs>